God is good. Amen. Can, can I preach? Can I, can I just go ahead and get into God's Word? Listen, we are trying to be conscientious of your time. We've got a cleaning crew that's going to clean after this service. We were able to do it effectively to sanitize everything, including these seats in between services. So I want to thank you for your willingness to be here. But I also know that God has a word for you today. So I want you to take your Bibles out with me and, and turn to the narrative that God has placed so strongly on my heart this week, which is John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. Listen, when I got to this point in the first service, everyone was already seated. So I said, y'all sit down being us, which I wanted to do. So I'm going to let you go ahead and be seated. Let me, let me say this to you. I'm going to read some of these verses, but before I do, let me just ask you to still your mind and your thoughts, problems from yesterday, uncertainty for tomorrow, let all of that stuff just kind of fade away for a few moments so that you can hear this word that I believe God has for you today. In fact, I know it's a word that will challenge your spirit. So I'm going to read a few verses just to establish some direction, and then I'm going to pause to offer some context to our conversation. But let me say this. How many of you know sometimes we don't need a message that's just going to tickle our ears? Sometimes we have to have a message that's going to challenge our heart. That is where this narrative comes into play. I'm going to read some verses with you beginning in John chapter 4. Verse 1, I have to use these glasses because the quarantine was not good on my eyes. Just saying. Here's what it says in verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now he had to. He had to. I want you to circle that in your Bibles. He had to. Circle that in your mobile devices. Highlight it. He, he had to. He had, there was something that compelled the heart of Christ. He had to. I want you to look at your neighbor and announce the title to today's message. He had to. There was something that drew at the heartstrings of Christ. He had to. There was something that drew his divinity to expose itself in this Samaritan village. He had to. There was a need that exposed itself in culture that caused his divinity to come into full light. He had to. Somebody say he had to. Then in verses 5 following, it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had been given or had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired he was from the journey, he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
on a second. It's, it's verse 9 where the Gospel of John highlights for us the issues that are present in the plot line. One, we see the brokenness of the individual, and Jesus is addressing the brokenness of the individual, but we also see the brokenness in culture because the woman says, why are you asking me? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Hold that thought for a minute. We'll come back to it. In the next several verses between verse 9 and verse 27, Jesus is having this conversation. This conversation ensues, if you will, between this Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus. And as he's telling her, because she came to draw water, if you will drink of the water that I offer, the living water, you will never thirst again. And so the woman said, okay, I got to have some of that water. So Jesus looked at her and he said, go get your husband and come on back. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five and now you're living with the sixth. What John is doing in this gospel is highlighting for us this woman's brokenness so that we can identify with any brokenness that we have. He's relating this story to us. When we read this, we see the individual brokenness of this woman. We see her broken relationships. We see her broken emotions. We see the brokenness of her spirit. She has to have had several relationships that left her in a in an insecure way. The fear of not want, being wanted, the fear of not being loved, being overlooked, feeling unworthy. And then Jesus swings the conversation to another topic in a way that only he can and he says to her he said God is searching for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth one day I'm going to preach a message on that if not a series on that concept because that intrigues me because how can a God Dwayne who who's created everything who knows everything who sees everything be searching for anything unless true worshipers are hard to find then, in verses 25 and following, I'm trying to give you some highlights in order to save time. In verse 25, it says, the woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with this woman. But no one would ask, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. I want you to envision this. Here is Jesus having a conversation with the disciples and coming from behind him out of this town are all of these people coming to hear this message because this woman has gone back and said, hold on a second, you got to come and hear what this man has to say. Keeping in mind, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Go down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Hold on a second. We see the beauty of the miraculous in this story. We also see the heart of Christ being exposed in this story. We see the Samaritan woman who gives her heart to Christ and all of these people coming from the town who give their hearts to Christ. But none of this would have happened unless Jesus would have been willing to cross some cultural divides. 
we see ourselves in this story because we can relate in some ways to the woman because of the brokenness in her life. But yet here is Jesus who is willing to cross some cultural divides, Jesus being Jew, this woman being a Samaritan, but yet Jesus would not allow the differences between the two to keep him from bridging the gap between Jews and Samaritans. And therefore this woman came to a saving knowledge that Jesus is a redeeming Savior. He is our hope. He is our help. He is our ever-present help in a time of... He's our breakthrough. He's our forgiveness. He's our second chance. He's our salvation. He's Elohim. He's El Shaddai. He's the Prince of Peace. And He's not a Savior just for one race. He's a Savior for all races. The Lord opened my eyes to this narrative this week in a way that I've never seen. And he showed me that this passage of Scripture has a dual purpose. There is duality in this narrative of Scripture. Not a single purpose with a secondary meaning, but a dual purpose. And he addresses the first issue, the woman's issues, by speaking to her problem. But then he also addresses the cultural issues that are present during that day. The racial issues. What is it that would make this woman go to this well at a time of day that no one else would be there? Number one is her brokenness, but number two, she went during this time of day in hopes that she wouldn't run into a Jew just because of the hue of her skin. I started to put this message together 10 days ago. After my heart was broken, watching another black man be murdered by a white police officer. And if that does not break your heart to see a man kneel on another man's neck until he is lifeless, then there is something wrong with your spirit. And all of this came right on the heels of Ahmad Arbery being gunned down in the street like an animal. And therefore, just like Jesus had to, I had to. I had to have this conversation. And it's not the conversation that I thought that we would have on our first Sunday back. I thought our first Sunday back would be one of great celebration. But how can we celebrate when our brothers and sisters are at an all-time low? And so God led me to the Gospel of John, where John highlights this issue of brokenness within this woman's life, the individual brokenness, but he also highlights the cultural brokenness and how Jesus came to not only comfort her, but to confront those issues. Let me say this, church, I'm speaking to you out of love today, so I need you to hear me out. We cannot be so selfish in our frame of reference when it comes to Jesus that we hope that he will meet our needs while those who look different than us are suffering inequality and injustices. So verses 4 through 9 become the crux of our conversation when it says Jesus had to, but then in verse 9 it says 
that she looks at Jesus and she says, why are you asking me? Because Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And there is a reason why John is describing this particular situation and all of the dynamics inside of the plot line because this woman is blown away by the friendliness of Jesus to her because no Jews have ever been friendly to her. The racial divide has been going on for hundreds of years at this point. In that culture for hundreds of years there has been inequality. It didn't make sense that Jesus even went that way because Jews would not go to this particular territory because Jews despised the Samaritans. The Samaritans despised the, the Jews and this is a Samaritan woman which makes her even more despicable and so they would slander each other with racially charged names and they would tell each other about their heritage and about their brokenness and about what they did and about who they were and about what they're doing now and Jews would look at Samaritans as unequal in fact they would say Samaritan lives didn't matter and here is Jesus who's in this place at an unlikely time an unlikely place in front of an unlikely person and everyone else seems to be judging her based upon the image, based upon her brokenness, based upon her problems. But Jesus is seeing her for her substance. Others are judging her based upon the brokenness in her life and the hue of her skin. But here Jesus is not seeing her according to her image. Rather, Jesus is seeing her according to the uniqueness of God's creation. As others have said, you come from the wrong side of the tracks. The socioeconomic status is not correct. As others were judging her for what she was not or what she didn't have or what she had been through or whatever was going on in her life, Jesus was loving on her. As others were saying she was not worthy, Jesus was not looking at her image. Jesus was focused upon her substance. I got to stop dancing around this. I just need to be honest with you and just say what I'm trying to say. Racism is a sin. It is a sin. Why did Jesus go to Samaria? Because Samaritan lives mattered. And just because he went to Samaria and said Samaritan lives mattered, that was not, he was not in any way disparaging Jewish lives. He was focusing on Samaritans at this moment because he was trying to bridge the gap. Listen, I need you to hear this. Black lives matter. I am not saying that statement. I need you to hear me out. I am not saying that statement for any political gain. I'm not saying that statement because it is politically correct. I'm saying that statement because it is true. 
This is not a political message. I have friends that serve on both sides of politics, and those friends in the past have asked me for pulpit time so that they can push their political agenda, and I have always said no because I don't see the gospel pushing politics, but I do see the gospel chasing after injustice and breaking the back of injustice from cover to cover. The Old Testament to the New Testament It's built upon, for God so loved the world not God so loved one people group, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have ever. Come on, somebody. I need you to help me because he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus stood with people that no one would stand for and he stood for people that no one would stand with. People say to me all the time, Pastor Mark, your church is so diverse. Listen, 35% of our church is something other than white. We should celebrate that diversity. Do you know why? Because that's the way heaven is going to look. Church should look like heaven. Church should look like heaven. It's white, it's black, it's brown, it's yellow. But can I tell you something? We cannot celebrate the diversity of heaven without calling out disparity here on earth. As a pastor, I cannot celebrate diversity without being as equally outraged about disparity. We cannot come into this place and lift up our creator, but yet not use those same tongues to call out inequality. Can I tell you something? Racism will not end with some legislative order. If it is a spiritual condition, if it is a heart issue, it cannot be healed through politics. It has to be healed through the love of God. And when the church will stand up and repent for not being involved earlier and say from this moment on, we are for you and together we can, that's when things will begin to happen. I want you to hear me because I don't want this to be misconstrued in any way. Every, every single human being has the same value in the eyes of God. And so Jesus had to. Jesus had to. He had to because verse 9 is a cry. I need you to hear me. Verse 9 is a cry. This woman says, why are you asking me for Jews don't associate with Samaritans? Right there she is telling us that she has suffered through systemic racism. But she's also suffered the, the, the problems of five broken marriages. And Jesus is going to the cry, if you will. He's there to not only comfort her, but to confront the issues. He's there to not only comfort her, but to confront the things that have caused division in that culture. Let me say this to you. If you only see Jesus as a comforter, you will stay the same in your ways in hopes that he supports your ideals. Listen. If you only see him as a comforter, you will stay the same in your ideals 
in hopes that he supports them. But Jesus didn't go to this place just to deal with the symptoms of her thirst. He went to this place to deal with the brokenness of her heart and to, and, and to bridge the divide between Jew and, and Samaritan. You see, church, it's time for us to rise up. It's time for us to become arm in arm with others. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is, which side of the tracks you are from, whether you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth or no spoon at all, whether you are white, black, tall, or small, it's time for us as the church to call out injustice. And I know right now some of you are saying, well, I, I, I really don't understand inequality and, and, and so therefore I've kind of ignored it. And now I need you to hear me out here. Many times Christian folk are so good in nature that it's tough for Christian folk to be able to relate to evil. And because it's tough for you to be able to relate to evil, you don't think that something like inequality could even exist because you are for equality. But let me tell you something. Just because you don't treat people with inequality doesn't mean that it's not happening. And for you to know that it is happening, but yet you're not willing to do anything about it, it makes you just as much a part of the problem. Hello, can I get somebody to say amen? Can I tell you something? Uh, this is something in God's word. This is not something in my agenda. You see, I cannot as a pastor celebrate our diversity without standing up and talking about inequality. I cannot do that. It's my job to stick up for my people. Jesus had to because Samaritan lives matter. Black lives matter. And let me just, as a white man, let me educate some of you white folks. Because some people are offended by that statement. Because we want to say, well, hold on a second. All people matter. Well, by golly, it's just common sense that all people matter. Listen to me. All people do matter, and, and, and you see Black Lives Matter sometimes maybe as, as something that causes division, but that's not what this is about. I need you to hear me. You're for all people, and because you're for all people, you don't understand the inequality. It's all right to say Black Lives Matter. It's all right to say that because, listen, there is a portion of our community, there is a portion of our culture that is hurting. And as Christians, we have the responsibility to empathize with them, to stand alongside. Let me illustrate it this way. This past week, Ian and I were talking about a sermon series that he's working on. It's a sermon series where he's working on the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, where Jesus comes out and Jesus says, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those, blessed, blessed, blessed. You don't see anybody standing up saying, oh, for a minute, Jesus, everybody's blessed. All people are blessed. No. 
Because since when it's highlighting an issue disparaging another? It's not. Since when is highlighting an issue disparaging another? All lives matter, but it's okay to say black lives matter because until all lives matter equally, this is what we need to focus on. Are you with me? God came. He sent Jesus to not only comfort, but to also confront. And I know for some, I may say too much or not say enough, say it wrong, not say it good enough, whatever. Let me just say this. Jesus said, do what I do. So it should be easy for us to say we have to. He said, do what I do. Can I be honest with you? It's it's not going to change just because black folk are crying out. Change will happen when people who look like me put down our biases, open up our ears, have empathy so that together we can see change. I'm going to show you something else. Something really cool. Can I show you one more thing? Here's what, here's what it says in verse, verse 5. It says, so he came to the Samaritan, to Samaria, to, to, to a place called Sychar. Everybody say Sychar. What is unique about Sychar is that is the New Testament name for this town. Its name in the Old Testament was Shechem. Now, for any of you Old Testament buffs, that's going to ring a bell for you. Because in the Old Testament, when God came to Abraham, he told Abraham, he said, I want you to pick up and I want you to go. And Abraham went by faith, even though he did not know where he was going, because God had made a promise to him that I'm going to give to you a land and your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So Abraham began to walk. When he got to the place where God said stop, when he got to Canaan, when he looked around, he was in a place called Shechem. God said, this is the place. This is the land that I'm giving to you. And Abraham built an altar there that later Jacob would build an altar there and a well. So why is it now, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, Jesus is going back to Sychar, which used to be called Shechem, which is the place where the promise originated, but yet Jesus has no mention of the land here. The only time that he goes here, but he does not mention the land. It's a place that a promise was given to Abraham. Now listen, understand something with me. Jesus was not going back to this place to reclaim a land because really we we have over-glamorized the land, if you will, because the land was not the promise. The people was the promise, and the land was for the people because God placed the emphasis on the people. And so here is Jesus hundreds of years later going back to Sychar not to reclaim the land, but so that he could bridge the gap in a racial divide because now Sychar is a diverse place and he's saying the gospel is for everyone. I 
know some of you you're in a place this morning where you need God to touch you you've got an individual need you need help you, you need hope God is that God but he's also challenging us as a church to stand up for those brothers and sisters who may look different than us. That's our responsibility. Because it's not about image, it's about substance. The gospel is for people. We have to be for people. If you would stand to your feet. Every 